our scripture this morning is taken from Matthew 1, 5. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. And then Joshua 2, verses 1 through 7. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. And this is the word of God. You can be seated. Don't you love Christmas? And just singing the songs. Well, we continue in this series this morning. And as we do, we find ourselves back in Matthew. And, and then we push rewind back to Joshua chapter 2. Chuck Swindoll said, and I agree, your faith ought to get you in trouble at times. If everybody thinks you are nuts, you may be. It's okay if some think you are. You're probably in trouble if no one thinks you are. In this passage, we encounter what I call reckless faith. Reckless faith. Abandoned trust in God. The sermon is about Rahab and choosing to call her reckless Rahab this morning. Uh, Why? Let me set the scene for you. Um, We go back at least 40 years before this uh, uh, passage of Joshua 2, a little bit better than 40 years, and God sent Moses into Egypt to lead Israel out of slavery uh, from Egypt. Moses goes into Egypt, and when he does, he carries them, he he leads them out. They get to the Red Sea. Uh, They can hear the hooves of the armies, uh, of uh, the horses, of Pharaoh's army in uh, the background, and the sea is in front of them, and God parts the Red Sea, and they cross. It is a remarkable event. They cross the Red Sea. They travel down into the Sinai Peninsula. And it's there in that peninsula on Mount Sinai that God shows up with the Ten Commandments. And smoke billows out of the mountain as God's presence and glory are shown. Then they travel up about halfway to the east side of the Jordan to a little town called Kadesh Barnea. There they pause and settle and they send 12 spies into the promised land. The job of those spies is to go in and uh, do a little bit of reconnaissance. 
Two of them's names you know, Joshua and Caleb. Ten of them, their names you don't know because they're losers, right? So we don't know who they are. Those ten come back with a bad report. No, we can't take the land. Two come back with a good report. Yes, the land is ours. And the people decide to believe the the ten instead of the two. And what ensues is unbelievable. God in his judgment for them, uh, on them for their lack of faith says, everybody under the age of 20 will die in the wilderness. And so over the next 40 years, the two-week journey ends up taking uh, 40 years. And during that 40 years, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of funerals are held as people die. And then we get to the book of Deuteronomy. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, who is now 120 years old, this aged leader, he, he gives three speeches. The book of Deuteronomy is three speeches. He reminds them of God's covenant. He reminds them of God's works and reminds them of God's ways. They're settled now on the east side of the Jordan. They can look across the river and see the promised land. And Moses dies. And Joshua is the new leader. His job is to go over. His job is to lead Israel into the promised land. And so he sends two spies in. They go and they find themselves at Rahab's place. Rahab lives, interestingly, in the city wall. Uh, The city is Jericho. It's a formidable city. Uh, You studied this in history. They're called city-states. They had uh, kings and governments and walls. And Jericho is one of those city-states. As a matter of fact, Canaan and all of Mesopotamia, uh, the known world is strewn with those city-states at the time and so they go across and they find themselves in Rahab's place well the guys weren't too stealth we know that because the king figured out where they were he sends his men right to Rahab's house and says you have men here from Israel and Rahab lies straight lies She says, well, they were here, but they left. Where did they go? They went toward the city gate. As a matter of fact, she said they left the gate uh, right about about the time the gate was about to close. It would have been at dusk. They left the gate. If you pursue them, you ought to catch them. And so they pursue. and, And it's really quite funny when you read about it verse 7 so the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out they had to think they were in hot pursuit of them if the gate is just shut and she had said they had left but where were those men they were up on her roof hidden underneath stalks of flax there they are Well, we could spend all afternoon talking about the ethical dilemma that's uh, presented here. Does God bless Rahab for lying? This makes for an interesting discussion in my Old Testament class. And does God bless anyone for lying? And the short answer to that question is no. Uh, But there's a long answer to what did God bless Rahab for? Perhaps that will emerge today in the sermon. 
so the pursuers are gone. The men are up on the roof. Rahab goes up to her roof, and when she does, here's what she says, verses 8 and 9. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Wow. What a statement of faith. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Rahab, who wasn't in the throng of people who crossed the Red Sea. Rahab, who wasn't at the foot of the smoking mountain when God in his glory came down, only heard. And through her hearing, she had faith in their God. How? The reason this question is so important is because some of you are sitting here this morning and God is nudging you to take the most important next step of faith in your life. And for some of you, it's to trust him for the first time as as your personal savior. For others of you, it's a life-changing decision and God is nudging you toward it. And the question is, will you? Will you do what he says? Will you obey him? Will you trust him? And so how or what does this kind of faith look like? What does it do? And based on this interaction between Rahab and these men, we discover three unique characteristics of this kind of faith. That if you were going to step from where you are to where God has called you to be, you may be in middle school, school, you may be high school, you may be a single person, or you may be a married person, you may be in your senior years, but God is nudging you, God is calling you. How do you get from where you are to where God wants you to be? Number one, we discover reckless faith recounts what God has already done. Oh, we just continue to read verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. To Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Most of us knows the story of the Red Sea. Moses is standing there. The the army's coming in. God says, take out your staff. He does. And what is a massive sea becomes dry land. And so as they go across on dry land, they can hear the army coming in the background. They get across this massive million plus group of people and they look back only to see uh, Pharaoh and his army and their chariots come into that same sea. They're going to use the same trail that God provided for his people until God speaks. And those waters which he had caused to abate come flooding over, come flooding over Pharaoh and his army. But they get into Edom. That's the land between Sinai and and north up there in uh, the Dead Sea and all of that. That's that land east of the Jordan. And there are two kings. And Moses just says to Sihon, and he says to Og, just let us through. We don't want anything you have. We don't want to cause any trouble. But I and my people need to get from here to there. Sihon said no. And God took him out. So we've got Pharaoh down, we've got Sihon down, uh, Og. That story is told in Numbers 21, but the Lord said to Moses, so Pharaoh's down, Sihon is down. Note, Note this, do not fear him, talking of Og now, for I've given him into your hand and all his people and his land, and you shall do to him, look at this, as you did to. Look at that phrase. God says, remember Sihon? 
Og is not going to be a challenge, as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So they defeated him and his sons and all his people until he had no survivor left, and they possessed his land. So what was the effect? All right, so let me give you one little tidbit. Some of you are going to feel like you're in Old Testament class. don't mean you to feel that way, but it's going to kind of give you some understanding. If you take Egypt, and Egypt is down here, and uh, Canaan is up through here, uh, there's the Mediterranean Sea, and there's a, a highway that runs along the sea. And if you trade, you have to go through Canaan, right? And so word traveled up that highway into Jericho. Did you hear about the Red Sea? Did you hear that Pharaoh went down? Did you hear about Sihon? Did you hear about Og? Look at verse 11. As soon as we heard it, Rahab says, our hearts melted. Our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. In other words, the entire city of Jericho was in a panic because of what God did. The entire city is frantic and they're falling apart because of the word of the work of God in that, in and through God's people. They recounted what God had already done. So this week I emailed you and I asked if you'd help me preach today. And boy, did you respond. And so for the next three minutes... On the screen are going to be your responses to that email. Watch the screen as you see how God has been at work in the lives of some of you and others who are in the early service. If your name was on that screen, would you stand right now? Look around. Isn't God faithful? Amen. Reckless faith recounts what God has done. Reckless faith acknowledges who God really is. Rahab continues, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. Quickly, there are a few things that emerge in this statement. The Lord your God, he is God on heaven. Uh, 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 he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. First of all, she affirms that God is the God above all gods. Now, Rahab was a Canaanite. She had at least a dozen gods she worshipped. And she said, God, you are the God above all gods. And we might be, be satisfied with that, but that's not enough. For him to be the God above all gods and not the God and no other gods isn't enough. So she continues and she says, the Lord your God, he is God. Not a God, he is God. And the name she uses for him, the Lord, is Yahweh, which was God's personal name. It's his name that he revealed to Moses when he showed up to Moses through the burning bush and said, Moses, I've called you out. Go lead my people out. And Moses said, who in the world am I, a fugitive who stutters? How are you going to use me, a fugitive on the run? I'm not a leader. I stutter. How are you going to use me to lead your people out? And God looks at him and says, you tell them that I am who I am has sent you to them. 
I am who I am, this personal name of God that describes his power, his presence, his personal involvement in the lives of his people. Now, now what this says to us then, it reveals something of the character of God. We call this in the, theology the immutability of God. God never, ever changes. Please hear me on this and please sit up and listen well at this point. You see, sometimes, oftentimes, we lose sight of the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New. Uh, Our current circumstances, the news, the fires, there are so many things that cause us to lose sight of a God who never changes. So what I want to say to you this morning is if that God is immutable, if he never changes, then the same God who told Moses to take his staff out and strike the waters and the Red Sea parts is the same God who's looking at the Red Sea in your life. Amen? If God never changes, the God who spoke into the tomb in which Lazarus lay bound and said, Lazarus, come out, is the God who speaks into the emptiness and the death of your life and brings it to life. Amen? The immutability of God is that the God who was asleep in the boat when, uh, when Jesus was uh, on the boat and the disciples feared for their life, he is the God. They woke up and he looked at the seas and said, peace, be still. He is the God who saved you. The immutability of God, she says, God, you are the only God. But without realizing it, she's directly obedient to a command in Moses' first speech in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Listen to this. Moses is talking to God's people. And he says, know therefore today and lay it to your heart. I love that. Lay it to your heart. What does lay it to your heart mean? I mean pierce yourself with this truth. Allow this truth to penetrate you deeply so that at times it brings you to tears. At times it moves you to exuberant joy. At times it moves you to want to sing. At times it moves you to want to cry, to declare. Lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other at all. Rahab didn't hear that speech, but she got that. Reckless faith acknowledges who God really is. And finally, reckless faith believes what God is going to do. I love the next exchange that happens. All right, verses 12 through 14. Now then, please swear to me, she's saying to them by the Lord, that as I've dealt kindly with you, and you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, my nieces, my nephews, all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you don't tell this business of ours, loose paraphrase, we got your back. We've got you. What I find amazing about this is Rahab is dwelling in a fortified city with only the king, the only king she's ever known, um, with her native people, and she's willing to set all of them aside for a God she's never seen. Who's done a work among the people she's never seen. That's reckless faith. Reckless faith believes what God is going to do. 
Then she let them down by a rope through the window, verses 15 through 18. For her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. She said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you. Hide there. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, watch this. Don't miss this. You shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. All right, I want to speak to that for a moment. If you were here last week, I talked about Tamar. Tamar, you've got to go read her story or go listen to the podcast if you missed last week. But Tamar, whose father-in-law, Judah, had sex with her. And she has twins out of that ungodly union. Tamar ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. But as her twins are being born, there's, there's Perez and uh, there's Zerah. And Zerah is vividly described as his hand coming out of the womb. And the midwife ties a scarlet cord on Zerah's hand saying, this is the firstborn. But then, as you know from the story, Perez makes a breach and pushes Zerah out of the way, comes out of the womb. This tiny little scarlet thread tied around Zerah's wrist is the very same word used to describe the rope that is to come down out of Rahab's house. You say, Jerry, what in the world does that mean? If you go all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve have blown it. They've tried to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. God knows it won't be enough. He's come down into the garden in the cool of the day. He takes them. And in an intimate scene from a father to his children, one that you've done many times for your own children, he takes off what they tried to cover themselves with and only by shedding blood, he kills an animal. He makes animal skins and covers their nakedness. Why? He's about to banish them from the garden into a world in which their nakedness will be a shame and a danger. And he covers them. Then we have the story of Tamar. And so, so there's blood in Genesis 3. There's the scarlet cord in In Genesis 38, then in Exodus 12, there is the Passover. What happened at the Passover? In the Passover, the people are told to take a lamb, take that lamb, sacrifice this spotless lamb. And once you sacrifice it, take its blood and smear it over the door. And with that blood smeared over the door, your eldest child will not die. Could you imagine the dads and the moms As that news gets to them and the mom just is frantic and says, go get that lamb. And the dad takes this lamb who's never done anything to deserve the death it's about to get. And he sacrifices it. And in gratitude, he smears the doorposts with the blood of that lamb. So that when God passes through, the eldest child is alive the next day. That's Exodus 12. Now we're to Joshua 2. And in Joshua 2... Rahab hears the mighty mass of Israelites coming across the now dry Jordan River. She hears them, and when she does, 
She has gathered into her house. She has become an ambassador for this new kingdom that's about to be set up. And she says, gather in, gather in, they're coming. And everybody who would listen to her, everybody who would listen, do you realize if the whole city had listened, they would have been spared. You say, Jerry, don't believe that. Go read the story of Jonah and Nineveh. But if the whole city had listened, they would have been spared. But she gathers them into her house and they come in and they're huddled in and they look out the window of the city wall and here comes this mighty throng of people. And you know the story, right? The marching around the city for seven days. And no doubt the people in the city are, 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 are just in fear. And Rahab is, we're fine. Rope is down. And when they see the rope, they will do what church pass what over when they see the red rope, they will pass over just like the blood over the doorpost. All of this prefigures this same immutable God who's in the business of covering over. He is a God who covers. He is a God who rescues. And so he who in the future Christmas would send his baby boy through the womb of Mary, who would grow up and go to a cross and on that cross outside the city, Jesus would bleed and die so that all who come to him would receive the blood of Christ applied to the doorpost of your heart so that that scarlet blood applied to the doorpost of your heart means that when God looks at you rather than sending you to an eternity without him in hell, uh, what does he do? He passes what? Over. Passes over. He passes over you. Rahab had reckless faith to believe that. Hebrews 11, 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law too. There you go. Redeem those who were under the law. So we might receive adoption as sons. You say, Jerry, what should I do? Here's exactly what you ought to do. Oh my, you shouldn't wait a moment. Why? Why? Romans 10. But what does it say? Paul writes, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Some of you are there this morning. You're so close to receiving Christ. You're so close to trusting Christ. The word is near you. That is what? The word of what, church? The word of what? Faith. What is it, church? The word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and what? Oh, that's so weak. Are you guys with me? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved for the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him for quote everyone that means you who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved That means you. That means you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
You say, Jerry, what do I do? Call on the name of the Lord. Be a reckless Rahab. And say, all these gods I've worshipped and all these things I've done and all this life I've spent toying with other gods, be they legitimately worshipped gods, right, of the major world religions, until you put all your eggs in God's basket, you will not worship God. Or be they sports or academic pursuits or money or career or those benign things, relationships. Rahab recklessly abandons her gods for the one true God. What is the benefit of that? The benefit of that is a life that is marked by, as Beth prayed, the grace of God. That we don't wait for peace when our circumstances are good. I love that, Beth. We trust God and then let him deal with the circumstances. So a few weeks ago, Joe Taylor, who's sitting right here in front of me, Joe lives across the road. He's here every Sunday walks across the road. Joe came in and he said, Jerry, I, I want to buy these for everybody that comes to grace. I said, what is it, Joe? And it's a bracelet that says, I will trust in God and not be afraid. Uh, Joe has been through hell in his life. Joe, will you... Come up here and stand so everybody can see you. Just turn around. Fought in the Vietnam War. He's had quite a serious case of PTSD. He's paid a remarkable price for your freedom to sit in this place and worship the Lord today. And Joe lives what this says. Joe, would you tell the church, how long have you been sober? Uh, December 12th, 39 years. Next month, 39 years. <laughs> 39 years, Joe will be sober. And so he said a few weeks ago, I, I'd like to buy these for everybody here. And how many do you need? I said, we have about 800 people show up on a Sunday. He said, all right. And guess when they showed up today? Perfect timing, right? So some of you may have gotten these as you came in. If not, as you leave, thanks to Joe, who lives us out every day of his life. You need to wear this. Because when you trust in God, who or what is there to fear? Amen? Amen. Thank you, Joe. You can be seated. I want to pray for you. If you're in here this morning and you don't know Christ, I'll be here. Alan Michael will be here. Adrian is in the back. Find us. We'd love to lead you to faith in a Christ who can make you sober for 39 years. Who can restore a marriage who can get you through the loss of a child, 
who can walk you through the aftermath of a divorce. The immutable, unchanging God of Rahab and Tamar and you, if you trust him. Father, as the old song says, only trust him, only trust him now. He will save you. He will save you now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. I pray for those who walked in here with faltering faith. May they leave on firm footing. In Jesus' name, amen. Michael.